0: Welcome to Parents at Work, a podcast for people who want to succeed and thrive at work while they have kids. This podcast is sponsored by the Spiegel Law Firm, a firm that empowers people who've been wrongfully fired or are afraid that they might be. I am Tom Spiegel, and joining me today is my co-host, Lori Mahalik levin an attorney and founder of the online platform Mindful Return. Lori, I'll turn it over to you to tell us more about Mindful Return and to introduce our guest today.
1: Wonderful, Tom. Thanks so much. Uh, Yeah, this is Lori Mahalik Levin. I founded a program called Mindful Return that helps new parents transition back to work after parental leave and that helps employers to retain their new parent top talent. On this podcast, as you might know, we pick a different industry or sector and then interview moms and dads in that particular field. And we've already released an episode of moms who are in the mental health field, and today we're happy to transition over to the dad side of that space. I think particularly during this pandemic, mental health is such an important topic, and so we're really excited to be able to speak with a mental health professional today who is himself a parent. Robin Smith, our guest today, is a licensed marriage and family therapist in clinical practice in Bethesda, Maryland. As an MFT, he specializes in relationship issues for couples, families, and individuals for improved quality of life. His areas of expertise include transition to parenthood for new and expecting parents, infidelity, sex and intimacy issues, premarital counseling, and trauma. Other passions of his include writing, recording and performing music, podcasting, and rooting on the... 2018 Stanley Cup champions, the Washington Capitals. And of course, he enjoys spending quality time with his wife and his two daughters, who are now four and two. Welcome to the podcast, Robin. It's really good to have you here.
2: Thanks, Lori. Thanks, Tom, for having me on.
1: Absolutely. So, Robin, we usually kick off our podcast by asking our guests to tell a little bit about their own personal working parent story. So I'd love to hear that story and I would also love to hear what working dad health in a mental health field life looks like during <laughs> covid right now as well because I know that is a totally different scene.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, the my story as a working dad really is centered around at least the way I tell it to myself is centered around Being split in three different locations, you know, I graduated from the University of Maryland's couple and family therapy program and was found placement at a high school wellness center in Silver Spring. And so I was working there with high schoolers doing therapy, you know, in the middle of the school day, pulling kids from classes and doing counseling and family counseling after school. I was working in private practice in Bowie at a small group practice. And then I was also starting my own private practice in Silver Spring, you know, subleasing office space and just starting out, you know, and my wife and I found out that we were going to have child and we're really excited. And so I knew that I needed to sort of collapse. I can't be commuting to all these different locations. And ultimately my goal is to be you know, hundred percent in private practice. So sort of started that process. I took a month off when our first daughter was born. And I said this earlier, like every clinician, you know, it's a personal choice. How much time, I mean, for everyone, that they can, if they can take off work, I'm fortunate enough that where I I could take off work, but taking off work when you have uh, clients, patients who are, you know, used to coming in to, for counseling sessions weekly, it's a sort of a, an important decision to make and how much time you take off and what's the plan for if they need to reach out, are you going to be available or do you have another colleague or associate to help, you know, step in and fill in for those needs. So I took a, a month off for our first daughter, took a month off for our second daughter. And I was saying earlier that how I wish, I wish that I had our, we lived in a society where we could, you know, take off more time because, you know, as you know, like, You know, there's a lot of development that happens, and it's so important to, in those first months, those first three years, actually, two and a half to three years, so much development that it's uh, being spending quality time with your child is the highest cost, the highest value, you know, the highest use of your time, at least speaking for myself anyway. Um, One day,
1: one day, Robin, I foresee a future where we will have paid parental leave. At least by the time my children have babies, I hope. (laughs)
2: uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm hopeful of that future as well.
1: Sorry, just one thing we were talking about prior to recording was about the fact that like as dad, as a man, like you're not showing right there's no bump so your clients don't know that a baby is yeah. So, yeah well how do you navigate that
2: Yeah yeah exactly so yeah there's you know for my women colleagues who are expecting you know they have to have that conversation earlier I got to delay it until I mean I didn't really delay it honestly I wanted to give my folks a good heads up I probably let them know with two or three months advance notice but yeah you know it's it's interesting too because you know, sometimes that's a clinical issue you know i could be working mm-hmm. with a couple who's having fertility issues right in right. fact not could be this was not i think it was this might have been for the second pregnancy where yeah for our youngest daughter you know, I was working with a couple, they were experiencing fertility issues. And the fact that I had to interrupt the work and leave because I myself was successful in that area was hard. It was hard. Mm-hmm. The, the couple actually ended up terminating they exiting and, you know, who knows really what the reason was, but I suspect it could have been that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. it's just one of the realities of life, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then for, you know, the transition to COVID, also a lot of my colleagues, you know, I'm so grateful that my home is actually well-suited to continue working virtually despite the fact that I have two rambunctious girls, you know, (laughs) so I have an office. I have doors to that office that close. You know, I I have Mm -hmm. a a white noise machine and a hanging tag on the door. And I, (laughs) and, and you know, the old adage of, catch them being good, you know, reinforce when they're doing the right thing. It's like, I would make it a point to just go out of my way, you know, go out my daughter's drawing with chalk on the driveway. I go out and just say, Hey, sweetie, I'm so glad you're doing such a great job, you know, not opening the door when daddy's in session, you know, when that, what you know, that that hanging tag means you can't open it up. And so there's not really, I don't share the same experience with some horror stories with some of my other colleagues where they, you know, they're getting, there's obviously with counseling, there's a privacy uh, element to it. And so when there's disruption in the frame and the setting, and it's challenging. So one of my colleagues is actually like, well, when can we get back in the office? (laughs) Cause like, and it's like, Don't get the wrong idea, guys. No one's coming in. I don't want to meet patients in the office, but I want to go into the office so I have some privacy and some (laughs) stability, some security here, you know, so I'm very grateful that the environment is engineered in a way for success. Uh, I
1: was just going to say that's such a wonderful reminder to keep reinforcing the positive with our kids. And, you know, we've noticed that carrots are so much more helpful than sticks. And, you know, I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend who's, you know, I've known her since law school. And she said, her daughter came up to her and said, mommy, mommy, did you notice that I didn't interrupt you during your call? And she said, yes, thank you so much. And she goes, mommy, I did that because I know you need to work to earn money. And I really want you to buy me that baby doll. (laughs) They're starting to understand the connection here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. If you sort of zoom out to the mental health profession and, you know, think about pre-COVID as well, what would you say it's like to be a dad in the mental health field these days?
2: Yeah, I honestly don't know how to answer that question because, you know, there's a large part of me that's very cautious about speaking to such a broad population. You know, the the diversity of experiences Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. probably so great, you know, that I, yeah, I'm really hesitant or cautious to make assumptions about what it's like or to speak so broadly. But I mean, I guess just from my own personal experience, you know, well, let me back up, right? Because the single dad, or the blended family's dad, or the dad of who has kids who are in their 30s, but is now, you know, with another partner and has a baby, you know, these dads who all may be mental health professionals are going to have different experiences, but maybe something that kind of cuts across and that's general is kind of what's true among many professions, which is work-life balance. Although maybe the mental health professional is much more intimately aware of the costs or the payoffs to setting appropriate boundaries. So you might, you know, you might be in finance, you might be in law, you might be whatever your industry is, and you know that oh, you know, so-and-so is bringing their work home with them or they're working weekends. And you kind of know in the back of your head, yeah, this is, you know, I just got to do it. Got to keep my shoulder to the wheel and keep... But mental health professionals are you know, very aware that part of their work is like, we should know, we ought to know what self-care practices are. Right, and so, right. you know, so therefore dads who are committed to their profession and they want to make a time and know their own limits to how many people they can see a day and, and all of that... And also not bringing their work home with them, our dads need to be aware of striking that right balance. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a very you know general answer, but yeah, perhaps something else might pop in as we talk.
1: Robin, I can imagine that the work that you do specifically, because you focus on issues that are similar to what you're probably grappling with yourself in working parenthood, that some of your clinical work informs and makes you. It gives you pause and forms how you're thinking about your parenting, for example, and vice versa. Is there any specific example or thing that comes to mind along those fronts?
2: Well, I mean, I'll tell you the first thing that comes to mind, uh, it's a good point that you raise. The first thing that comes to my mind is the, again, like take 10 different professions and parents who are judging themselves on, how good of a job they're doing or poor of a job or how you know, preoccupied or focused, am I spending enough time with my kids? Am I saying the right things? You know, was I too hard on them, you know, in terms of like a consequence or something there's uh, if your specialization is working with kids, if you do play therapy or, or if you're, let's say, let's say you're a, a developmental psychologist, you know, mm-hmm. you have intimate knowledge on what is healthy and unhealthy. And so when you find yourself in times of stress, as we all uh, do, since we're human, you know, our shared human experience is that none of us are perfect and that we have flaws. And so I don't know. I think that there's, I think that, you know, perhaps I can speak for myself certainly, but perhaps mm-hmm. this is true for others that the mental health professionals who work with kids and work with families and know what's healthy, you know, we might be more prone to feeling shame or feeling harder on ourselves because mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, well, we know what's right. You know, we ought to be able to practice what we preach, you know? So I know that for myself, you know, kind of like variants of perfectionism aside, you know, my standards, like when I lose my temper, for example, or when I'm stressed out or when I make a sacrifice that I tell myself, yeah, I really got to do this work. And so therefore the opportunity cost is I won't be able to do bedtime routine tonight. You know, I, sometimes I do kind of catch myself and say like, wait a minute you're not practicing what you preach, you know, there's like, this is, yes, there's a very compelling storyline that says you need to get this thing out or you need to do this, but like, you know, consider what's being sacrificed. You know, Mm. as we all know, all of us parents know that it, it goes by so fast, you know, the development happens so quickly. So, yeah, I'm kind of rambling now, but I, I wonder if you take my point.
1: Oh, absolutely, and I can completely relate to it. I mean, I work with tons of working parents around issues such as working parent guilt, and you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I can sit here and feel guilty and beat myself up for feeling guilty because I've taught people how not to feel guilty. So <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. I totally get that. I'm yeah. um, over to you, Tom.
0: Great. Thanks so much, Lori. Good stuff, Robin. And, you know, as I'm listening to you guys talk, it just reminds me how much all this has changed pre and post COVID, you know, just the conversation about, you know, where we're all working now and, you know, knock on wood, we'll get COVID under control and we'll go back go back to being something different but i don't know that we'll ever go back to exactly like it was before and you know i don't it'll be interesting to see just what you know what history says about this chapter and all the you know, they're, it's great to be home with the family. And when it's it's just interesting, I think about my own experience and what my kids are seeing. And they're just, you know, they were always because, you know, my wife and I are, as we all are here, white collar professionals, you know, used to seeing kind of what we did, but not as intimately as they do now. And I don't know about you, but like, you know, we now have like, our kids know like which calls they can be in the room for and which they can't. Right. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, right. is this a and my wife too. I mean like is this like a real call or is this like a, <laughs> just a you know sort of in house call that you don't mind if people are running around and so just and that's just one of the many kinds of you know changes that we've dealt with working at, at home, but which kind of dovetails into my question for you, Robin, which again will be sort of different pre and post COVID. And right. for you I think you can answer this both from your perspective, from being an employee and then later, you know, as you kind of transition to, you know, having your own practice. And that is, you know, what workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent?
2: Yeah. So I don't feel that there were like an absence of support or a presence of support. In other words, like, like I said, when I transitioned to becoming a father, I was collapsing my a lot, you know, two workplace locations in well, three into one. And so it's not as if I had an office manager or I mean, I think at that time I was still a licensed graduate marriage and family therapist, so you know, I you know, have a supervisor, but like that stuff gets scheduled On my, you know, when it works for everyone. So there's so much flexibility of when I'm working that, yeah, just frankly, there's, I don't even think about what support did I have professionally. You know, I could have maybe other therapists who are also, you know, new time parents, but I didn't have like a, yeah, there wasn't a professional structure in place really at all being being self-employed. And, you know, so it might be different if I worked in an organization that was really large and had something. But honestly, I don't even know what that looks like, because when I became a dad, yeah, I'm self-employed employee of one and set my own hours and own schedule. So, you know, my support really just came from personal circles, you know, friends and family. There was something that you said a moment ago, Tom, (laughs) that I wanted to just comment on real quick, which was, The which calls are okay, you know, like when I'm in session, I'll hang the tag. And then when I'm not in session, I won't, but I'll still, and I'll be good about that. Meaning my girls now know when I don't see that tag, I can knock you know? like yeah. And they always know if there's an emergency, you can come in anytime, you know, and they know kind of, kind of <laughs> to the extent that a two-year-old and a four-year-old can define what an emergency is. <laughs> so, mommy is doing a lot of interference, you know, she's running defense. But you also said something that I wanted to comment on. You didn't say silver lining necessarily, at least I don't remember you did, but it made me, something you said about, you know, spending more time together. And really that's, I can't, and I know I'm not alone here. I can't tell you how important and grateful I am that I get to be at more family dinners because my, mm-hmm. you know, couple and family therapy, kids, you know, are in school. And so a lot of sessions are happening in afternoons and evenings. And so when I'm in Bethesda and my family, we live in Silver Spring and, you know, Northern, <laughs> like we're not really in Silver Spring, but technically the zip code says we are. So like, there's a long commute. And so I was not getting, to participate in a lot of family dinners. And now that I wrap up my notes, I'm done session and I leave the office and now I'm home. <laughs> so I can, I can, I can participate in more family dinners, which has just been like the most without question, the highest uh, silver lining in all of this for me.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It is certainly an upside. I mean, a lot of those, you know, interstitial spaces when you're at work, you know, you're, your kids aren't around. And so you're not spending, I mean, you, when you're away from the home, at least you're not spending the time with the kids. And now when you're at home, you know, you can. Uh, you yeah. can just pop in and talk with them or they're sitting beside you anyway. And so you can kind of, you know, look over at the drawing or whatever it may be. It's, you know, there's a tremendous upside to it too. Well, that following question, which again, now is going to be, <laughs> different pre and post COVID, but I'll, you know, put your kind of thinking cap on here. Mm. You know, are there any workplace supports, again, still given your ability to control your schedule, but are there any workplace supports that you did not have as you became a working parent that you, you wish you did or that you hope that people coming behind you will have? You know, the first thing that pops into my head is...
2: And it probably did exist and I just didn't go looking for it. (laughs) Honestly, the thing that pops into my head is new dad groups. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and not just new dad groups, like we're all different sectors, but, you know, new dad groups who are therapists. I mean, I get asked all the time by people like, do you take my insurance? And I, we're really looking for a male who can work with families who is in network. And it's like, you're, you're a unicorn, you know? And, uh, and so, so I, I mean, really when I find other guys out there and I'm like, I'm adding you to my provider, my quote unquote Rolodex, you know, my provider network, because, you know, we need to know about one another to refer out because there's not, there's not a lot of us. And so, I mean, I say that because what does that look like in the state of Maryland? How many new dad therapists are experiencing the transition to father, right now in the state of Maryland, you know, I don't know what that number is, but how do they know about one another? Is there, you know, kind of an offshoot of a listserv? Like, so that's what I think about in terms of uh, if I could do it all over again, you know, that would be helpful. I didn't reach out though. I didn't reach out for that. I felt that I was getting a lot of support personally, but you know, and also frankly, I just being male or female didn't matter as much as being a therapist. So just being a new parent, and being able to talk with other, you know, therapists and counselors who had recently gone through the transition. So I did have colleagues who were both had recently done it and who also were going through it kind of with me. And I remember one of my colleagues who worked at the wellness center, we like followed the same timeline. We like kind of got married in the same month on the same year when we, we both became parents around the same time and we were just kind of on the same track. And so I also had her to kind of talk to and, but yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what I think about is there's something, is there a group, of uh, mental health professionals who are new parents, does that group exist? I have no idea, but that would be really you know swell to have. And you might even need to broaden it outside of Maryland. You might not just have like a, the DMV area. Um, if we want to get specific around dad issues, you know, specifically, what is it like to you know become a father and experience your partner? you know, postpartum depression or unintentionally gatekeeping and saying, you know, oh no, I'm the only one who really knows how to get this baby down. And so I know in a lot of heterosexual couples that can be the case where dads, you know, they kind of know their role, but they also feel a little bit like if I'm not being invited to the party, I don't know how to get in there and be active. And sometimes, like I said, moms will not intentionally at all, there's no malice here, but moms will act as sort of gatekeepers, you know, they're the ones who are waking up in the middle of the night or breastfeeding, or they're the ones who know how to mix the formula. They're, you know, they're the ones who know what appropriate care looks like. And rather than trusting their partner or helping them cooperate and teach them, they kind of just like, let me just do it myself, you know? So there are specific dad's issues that could be helpful for such a group to exist. And again, maybe one does, I don't know of it.
0: Yeah, well, and this uh, I'll hand it over to Lori because this would be a perfect opportunity to talk about Mindful Return. But just before I do that, I mean, yeah. it also occurs to me, I, which I think those are great points, Robin, like also how... Just the different life stages are because, it, you know, there is having kids when you're sort of like, you know, newborn through toddler, and then there's sort of a, you know, toddler to preteen, and there's, and the needs sort of vary. I'm just thinking about myself as my, you know, my kids, my youngest now is seven. So we're sort of, you you know, well past the diaper stage, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. well past the waking up at night. But, you know, our oldest is 14. And, you know, we're entering those teenage, you know, issues. And there's just how, you know, yes, parent groups, absolutely, but also maybe even more segmented than that, you know, like, because, you know, the kind of the, you know, other dads that I would want to talk to is like, okay, how are you handling like your team driving? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And social media and all those things, oh, you know, we're yes. sort of out of the, diaper, you know, out of the diaper stage and those particular needs. And just and yeah. and to also to your point about, you know, dad's trying to, you know, not so much not being invited to the party, but how these kind of barriers spring up without even being noticed, I remember with our first child, you know, my wife, uh, she's likely to have maternity leave and she stayed home. And, and I remember we, we got into an argument about, or, you know, about like household chores and things like that. And I forget the exact details, except I remember her saying, you know, look, it would be really helpful if you, and I, considered myself a very active parent. Like I was not one who's like, you know, hey, it's your job to do this. I was trying to be helpful, but she said, you know, it would be really helpful if you would just help me wash out the baby bottles And I just hadn't been doing it. And just because she had been doing it, she'd been one doing the breastfeeding and it just kind of organically sprang up that way. And once she showed me what was involved in like getting those baby bottles like ready to go, I was like, wow, this is a lot of work. This is a system. I'm like, (laughs) I had no idea, you know, and here I was living in the same house, going through the same things. And so it's sort of those things that sort of spring up, unless you're mindful of them, that, you know, kind of do act as, I think, as barriers from sometimes from fathers or other partners getting involved. And with that, Lori, I will turn over to you to talk a little bit about Mindful Return and the kind of the work you're doing in this exact space and then going on to your questions.
1: Great. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I would love to mention that Mindful Return started off as a four-week online cohort-based course for new moms who are returning to work after maternity leave. And then about two years into, you know, working on this project, and as employers started offering the program to their new moms, they came back and said, hey, we want to be able to offer a gender neutral benefit. And I said, yes, you do. (laughs) And so I collaborated with this awesome dad named Jeremy Smith, who took two extended paternity leaves from Bank of America to create the working dad version of the Mindful Return Course. So for the past several years now, we've been running cohorts every other month of dads from all over the country in all different industries and sectors who are trying to figure out how to normalize taking of paternity leave in our society and also you know, what it means to transition to working fatherhood and how to navigate all those different pieces. So just want to throw out there that there are communities forming. Um, I also, at my employer uh, at the law firm where I work, founded a couple of years ago a working parent group, and we started having you know brown bag lunches and things like that and some of the dads who came said oh my gosh like you moms have all these groups but i don't have anything where i can talk about this stuff you know right. so yeah. i think there's definitely a need there i also just wanted to tell one quick story you were talking about kids determining when it's okay to enter and not and yesterday i was about to you know lead a webinar that i really really didn't want to be disturbed on and my 7 year old my youngest said but mommy, what if there's a cobra in the basement? <laughs> Which, you know, like, we're trying to define what's an emergency and what isn't. Nice. And I said, well, your dad will be with you, so you can tell him to call animal uh, control. <laughs> He's Highly like, but if there's a outcome. cobra. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so we're imagining uh, all sorts of scenarios that we previously would never have uh, thought right, about. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> anyway, so my next question for you, Robin, is. If you can look at the mental health profession broadly, what changes do you think are happening in the field, in the profession that are affecting working parents? And if I could just pause and say like one of my like personal questions is, so is teletherapy like here to stay forever? <laughs> are people ever going to go back into the office? Yeah. But then beyond that, are there other like broader global changes that you see affecting folks who practice in mental health who are parents?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, honestly, I don't know that I can speak to the specific changes in the mental health field that affect parents per se. But you know, as soon as you asked that sub question about telehealth, it's like, well, that's one of the biggies that is we're going through here. Is that there were providers, plenty really, who were had 100% online practices. They were only virtual, you know, and they were well prepared for this adjustment when we all went virtual. But now, uh, obviously, the, because of safety and necessity, pretty much all therapists, I mean, that I know of, I was asked by someone, you know, Do you, is anyone meeting in the office? And I was kind of just saying, like, well, no, <laughs> like no one that I know of. I have not heard any colleague who has been as, so bold as to get their practice up and running and have face shields and are doing, you know, play therapy, sand tray with, you know, little kids in person. I just I don't know of anyone who's doing that. Now, maybe they there are uh, in other states across the United States, but, um, and certainly, you know, certainly in there's the world, but in our community, yeah, we're all digital as far as I, and I know, and that's been hard for therapists who are of a different generation who, you know, mm-hmm. they don't even like, whether you did video therapy or not, you know, maybe your practice had online, you know, electronic health records and you signed paperwork digitally Then you have therapists who are very old school and they, it's paper notes and it's paper forms and it's paper everything. And it's in person. So those therapists had a, I think probably had the hardest time making the adjustment because you can't have, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to mail the forms and then have them mail them back. It's like, (laughs) no, there's plenty of technological solutions to those things. So, you know, the adjustment for getting up and running, I actually, one of my mentors felt flat out. I was going to help her I was tag teaming with one of my uh, fellow graduates of the university of Maryland in the couple of family therapy program. We were like helping her like, okay, here's the PDF. Here's how you do zoom basically. (laughs) And eventually, you know, we had a scheduled call to help her and on her call, she was like, Robin, I don't want to waste your time. I'm just not going to change. I'm not going to do this. If people want to meet with me, they can come out on my back deck, you know? So you have variants of adaptation but you know doing telehealth as a counselor it's like I said there are experiences in session that require materials that you don't you know maybe that your average client will have a pen and crayons and you know paper but like you know you can't expect them to have a sand tray with little miniature figurines you know you can't and it's there's something called a uh, family sculpt Where you have people, a family in the room, and one of the family members is the one who chooses which event they're going to reenact, you know, an event that's really bothering them and that they can't get past. And so they sort of take their family members and, you know, let's say it's in the kitchen and here's what dad looks like and here's what my sibling looks like and here's what mom's. And that's really hard. I don't know if that's Mm. happening at all. Like, so certain techniques are just. I imagine can't be implemented in this medium, or if they are, it takes a really creative clinician. So Mm -hmm. it's just been, I've been very aware of the, some of the limitations of this modality. And also I say to my clients, it's like, you know, the value here, it's like, you're going to pay the same amount. Your insurance company (laughs) is going to, you know, the contracted rate doesn't change, but the value, in my opinion, the value is slightly less. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can't make eye contact with one another, you know, and that's, I mean, this is a human helping profession. So eye contact's important, but one of the things, you know, because you're either looking at the monitor or you're looking in the camera, so you can't meet someone's gaze. But one of the interesting things that I've found is everyone had poor expectations, Low expectations about the quality, <laughs> and so both on both sides, the provider and the patient, everyone's saying, "Yeah, it's good. It's a lot better than I thought it was going to be." <laughs> you know, it is, and that is true. I mean, across the board, that's what I hear from colleagues and from clients. So it's the fact that it's like, well, this is still worth doing, you know, and we can yeah. we can pretty much sustain this until whenever we're through the pandemic. So in terms of like, is it here to stay? I think maybe you guys have been hearing about in all sectors sort of COVID essentially hit the accelerator on things that would have happened a couple years from now, five years from now, they have, you know, industries have to adjust. And so when we get to a post COVID on the other side of this, what will it look like? Well, what will it look like in my field? I imagine there will be both consumers of therapy and practitioners, providers of therapy who are maybe less likely to see the need of Mm -hmm. having to like find someone who's close to their work office or their home office and say like, actually, I found someone who's a really good fit. And they're in Southern Maryland. I love and the video format is just fine. It's very convenient. You know, I don't have to find parking. And so I think that's probably going to happen. But you know, I'm not a futurist. (laughs) My father in law is I'm not a futurist. I don't really know. But that's my guess is that we will see more video therapy and people, you know, who will opt for it. And then you'll have purists who are just, again, kind of can't wait to get back both providers and consumers of therapy. Can't wait to get back in the room with a person, you know, the way we've Mm -hmm. been relating to each other for thousands of years, you know, that needs to return.
1: Right. No, thank you for that really helpful and thoughtful answer. I think you've also imparted an important piece of advice here, which is particularly in COVID, we should set all of our expectations incredibly low, and then we'll meet them day after day. (laughs) Back over to you, Tom. All
0: right, great. Yeah, you know, my, in our firm, we were at least a lot remote before. I mean, we have a brick and mortar space, you know, but we, because a lot of our attorneys are easily an hour drive away, which is not hard to do, of course, in the DMV, um, we were doing a lot remote and I found that, you know, First of all, absolutely. You know, we're built as human beings to have face-to-face interaction. You know, it's just easier to communicate that way. That said, you know, there are obviously the advantages of virtual are tremendous. Uh, we've just found that we've had to, sure we are all learning this. You just have to be a lot more intentional about things that just happened organically before. You know, just like in our office, like we have to be intentional about when we're communicating with each other because, you know, you don't have the automatic water cooler talk that you do in the office. So it'll just be interesting mm-hmm to see how that continues and you were just kind of addressing exactly that robin you know like it, it just as human beings like we, you know our chassis was developed however many millions of years ago when yes. we were face to face with each other and that's how we do a lot of our communicating and replacing that is sometimes easier said than done. and let me just pick up on that for just a second sure, like, absolutely. It, it's for
2: intentionality yeah like i used to be able to just you know oh we're going to talk about this today let me get my handouts ready. And now, you know, instead of like handing someone a piece of paper and we're all gonna kinda of read this together, it's like let me share my screen with you. And so just like and also there's like uh when you share your screen, sometimes clinicians will share the whole screen. And that can be distracting if the client is on the other end saying, like, hang on a second, what is that right? What, what <laughs> does that bookmark mean? Right, <laughs> you know? right. So yeah, it's just different. You know, you you do have to kind of, you know, I mean not that one is coming to session unprepared anyway, but you're preparing in a different way, I guess, you know, in terms of how you share stuff and, you know, what's being asked uh, in the session. So, yeah.
0: Well, my question to you is this, and again, you may have two different pieces of advice pre and post COVID, but the question is this, what is your number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent?
2: Yeah. I mean, my answer is going to be influenced by the kick that I've been on in the last six months, which, or maybe more than six months, which is compassion. And, you know, we may have spoken about this before. I mean, you know, compassion is, you know, wanting to help someone when they're suffering and a commitment to being with someone, to be with someone when they're suffering. And I would actually start with self-compassion. And I think that's easily overlooked. When there's a focus on helping others, when there's a focus on others are causing problems for me, whatever the focus may be, one of the I don't want to call it a blind spot, but just easily overlooked ways that we can relate to ourselves is to be compassionate in the moment, to be aware that, you know, we're all going through difficult times in different ways. You mean, you know, COVID is one thing, but just you know, take the pandemic and, you know, add on six other stressors, you know, your brother gets diagnosed with cancer or you're in the middle of a divorce or you just moved or you got laid off. I mean, it's just innumerable other factors that are stressors, you know, and so when things get hard, especially as a, I'll invoke the parent identity here, especially as a parent, you know, your ability to show up in that role and function properly Properly as defined by your own values and expectations, your role is helped. How you show up to that role is helped by your grace and your patience and your compassion for yourself and for others. So yeah, there's many ways I could sort of expand on that, but to keep it short, which is very hard for me to do as if you haven't gathered by now, <laughs> is compassion. So I would start with that. The ability to get lost in stressful thinking and judgmental thinking and negative thinking, you know, the ability to wake up from that and, you know, relate to yourself in a kind and compassionate way is that would be my gold medal answer. That's the number 1 thing I would impart, really.
0: Yeah. So profound. I think that's, yeah, a lot of food for thought there. And then I don't know if you have a, my next question was, is there a book or an article that you found particularly either now or when you were first becoming a parent that you would recommend to folks?
2: Well, the books, so for me as a dad, there's a book called The Expectant Father. So this would be before, this would be when you find out that you are going to be a dad. The Expectant Father by Armin Brot, Brot, I don't know how to say that, and Jennifer Ash. That was really a win. I loved that book. My husband Um,
1: loved that book too. He just recently sent it to his youngest brother who was expecting a baby. So yeah, I've seen it recently.
2: So that's one that I recommend couples is And Baby Makes Three, which which was written by John and Julie Schwartz Gottman. And that's basically like the Gottmans are, you know, powerhouse figures years in the field of marriage and family therapy, the Gottman Institute researches thousands of couples and has developed Gottman Method Couples Therapy. So it's essentially his, his, one of his big books is um, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, okay? But that's not necessarily the book I'm recommending. The book I'm recommending is And Baby Makes Three, which is essentially the tenets of The Seven Principles book as applied to the stage of life of transitioning to parenthood. So it, it speaks exactly to what's important for couples to consider in terms of their functioning and how they make the transition, as well as once baby comes, you know, considerations for preserving the functioning of the relationship because it's highly stressful. And two thirds of couples who become new parents don't navigate that transition very successfully. That's kind of normal to not navigate it successfully. So there's a lot of great information in that book, and Baby Makes Three. There's not another text that comes to mind, although I know if I had uh, my resources list, I'd be able to share more. And I, maybe I could do that afterwards if you want to put that in the show
0: notes. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. We'll put yeah. those two books in the show notes and whatever else you want to send us. And then my final question is, how about a piece of technology? Is there one that you use in particular to kind of help navigate working with children? Which again, Lips. has probably changed after COVID. There are a lot of technologies to rely on now, but anything that would be sort of your number one.
2: It, well, maybe let, let me help you sharpen that up a little bit. What do you mean by working with children? So you're talking about as a professional
0: or... No, it doesn't have to be as a professional. Oh, just so as a dad. As a technology. dad. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Well, I would, say, I would say the thing, the piece of technology that was most <laughs> appreciated, I think it was my aunt and uncle got us the swing, the standing swing where... You know, put baby in the swing and turn the swing on and it has music and it has sort of like what are those the mobile oh, that's yeah. spinning around and
0: why did we do before those, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean that was really, really helpful. So I mean like when you I mean we talk about like baby monitors or other technology. I mean, honestly, I don't know, this is my personal preference that I joke with my wife, and I call us like the Flanders, like Ned and Maud Flanders in terms of the way that we like restrict sugar and restrict screen time and all this stuff. So with technology, yeah, there's the thing I just associate to is uh, the baby swing. That was like the, the best thing that helped when in those first, you know, 12 months.
0: Oh, absolutely. Are there any apps or anything like that that you and your wife use? It could be anything like grocery shopping, like something that you, you know, that really kind of helped the wheels turn.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking back four years now or five
0: years. It could even be now. It doesn't have to be anything that you use that as a working parent, you'd have trouble getting by without.
2: Well, I mean, yeah,, I'll tell you this again sort of rises above the identity of a parent, but you know just having an organizer, so like I'm thinking, you know, my wife is kind of point person on ordering groceries, and I don't know instacart i don't I don't even know like I'm outside of that world. I would rather just like I'll put on my mask and I'll go pick'll go pick up the groceries, <laughs> but, yeah, I would say having an organizer that's one of the most useful pieces of technology or application. I mean, and this is not technology. You can have an organizer that's paper, frankly. But what I do is I've actually really leveraged what Google's engineers have allowed, which is my calendar, my planner has chunks of block time. And then each of those, if there's relevant links or resources, there are hyperlinks that go into a document that might be very complicated and there's a table of context with hyperlinked things. So in terms of like organization and access to information and coordination, cooperation, that a shared calendar where you can have access to information without necessarily you know, being in the same place, even though we're in lockdown and a lot of us are in the same place a lot of the times. Right. Um, that's really helpful to stay on top of things, stay on top of doctor's appointments and bills. And just, I would point to my organizer, my cal- I use Google Calendar and it's very helpful to, you know, link to other things that you might need to reference that I can store in Drive, Google Drive.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, sort of uh, what we are all becoming used to, whether we like it or not, and particularly if we're talking about kids getting ready to go back to school, asynchronous communication, right? <laughs> asynchronous yeah. instruction. It's like I've never used that word so much. In any event, well, Robin, thanks so much. That's the last of my questions. Now we'll turn it back over to you, Laura, to uh, end us out.
1: Great. Thank you so much for being with us today, Robin. I really enjoyed our conversation, learned a lot, and... Uh got some great perspectives here. Um, Great. Thanks for joining us. Everyone, please stay tuned for our next episodes of the Parents at Work podcast. We're going to turn next to some moms and dads who are engineers and do a a separate podcast with moms and separate podcasts with dad engineers. Look forward to having you back at that point. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love if you would leave a review and rate it on all the places that one finds the Parents at Work podcast. And please share or a link with a friend if you know a dad therapist who might benefit from hearing the wisdom of Robin and being able to you know connect with another dad in the mental health profession, please go ahead and share this episode with him. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next time.